Two Humorous Nurses would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we record the podcast, the Yorshi Ordination. We pay our respects to the Elders past and present and extend that respect to other Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islanders who are listening today. Always was, always will be. Two Humorous Nurses with Kelly and Alicia. Podcast that brings the facts from other people's hard work. <laughs> Wikipedia. <laughs> Welcome to Two Humorous Nurses, where we plan to bring you funny, informal, conversational chat about all things nursing. You spoke and we listened. Nurses Who Kill is back again. Whoop. Back, back, back again. You ready? Uh, I don't know. Are you ready? I was going to say, is that rhetorical? I'm not <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I love researching these episodes. Mm. It just blows my mind at how many heartless, brazen women and men as well, but like yeah. women, because like majority of these nurse killers are women. Yeah. Oh, I just, yeah, I don't get it. But anyway, I guess I, I love... can under- understand like the serial bell ringers on night shift making my bloody <laughs> killer. <laughs> Um, I love when I tell people like about the podcast or whatever and they're like, what, you know, what kind of things do you talk about? And I mention the Nurses Who Kill segment and people are absolutely gobsmacked that there are nurses out there killing their patients. I know. Mm. I, um, Jess just dropped me off for coffee and I was like, I've got to go. I'm recording Nurses Who Kill with Alicia. She's like, oh, I love Nurses Who Kill. <laughs> it's just so good. I still, I still think once we're finished with the podcast, we're just going to do a nurses who kill true podcast. crime thing yeah <laughs> what um, have you got for us so today i i'm like you know a few different people of interest for this um and i came with i came out with i'm like i want to do some one that's recent because i knew that yours was like really old and um i've gone with this one because the method of killing intrigued me more than anything oh. and it's something that every nurse is probably aware that can be fatal but it's not something that you really can do by accident like it it um i mean it's possible but it's i don't know it's very unlikely i think so um i'm talking about um i think he was about 34 when he did his killing his name was william davis and he was a cardiac icu nurse from your get this this is the name of the hospital it fucking blows my mind <laughs> that it can be this long christus trinity mother francis lewis and peaches owen hart hospital <laughs> <laughs> i wonder what they shorten it to like there has to be like some christus kind of... but oh, then yeah. in lots of other ones um, like in lots of other articles I read, they call it Lewis and Peach's Owen Hart Hospital, but then other places like call it the full name. Like I had to keep Googling, like, are these two different places? Like, I'm so confused. No, literally, that is the whole name. Christus wow. Trinity, Mother Francis, Lewis and Peach's Owen Hart Hospital in Tyler. And then I kept thinking his name was Tyler and I was getting real confused. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so yeah. I'm talking about this guy because he is from Texas um, and he injected his patients with air. So wow. we all know like which, you know, we all know that when you um, are priming an IV line or whatever, it's like. Yeah, teeny tiny bubbles. Well, you don't want, you don't want air to. Intimidate. How many times have you said to someone, no, don't worry about that little bubble. It takes like a whole line of air to it's do like any damage. One mil per kilo or something, <laughs> right? 
hypothetically, I actually haven't found the science behind that, but yeah. I remember being told that it's like uh, a mil per kilo to kill someone. But that's like in the venous system. So this guy actually um, injected his patient's art lines with air. Oh, I know. So we're going to go through it because it's so interesting. And um, I actually going through this, I realized this was a really good example for us to do because the way the hospital handled it was really good. Like uh, we normally talk about how many people people have like they have to kill before something gets done or, uh, you know, red flags that get raised, that kind of thing. But this is actually really interesting. So I'm going to get into it. Sure. So uh, William Davis was employed by this um, Christus, um, that's what I'm going to call it, <laughs> okay, um, from yeah. 2013 to 2018. So uh, he'd been a registered nurse for about seven years before he started killing. And, um, you know, he didn't he didn't begin to harm people until 2017. So he'd been working there for four years already before um, it was alleged that he'd started to hurt people. Um, and he worked night shift. <laughs> And if you've listened to our first uh, Nurses Who Kill episode, we talked about, um, you know, the most likely nurse killers and night yep. shift is the, is yep. the um, big risk, the big factor, I guess. Yeah. Um, so there wasn't a lot of information about his life, like in the lead up to, um, you know, him killing or about why he became a killer. Like it's so bizarre. Like I could not find any information about him per se. Like there was so much information about the trial um, but not a lot of information about him. So I'm sorry for those of you who are curious about why this guy's fucked in the head but um, I can't tell you. (laughs) But I do know (laughs) that he was married So uh, and Mm. I'll uncover a bit more as we go on. So um, there's a bit of a timeline. So basically, um, so June 16, 2017 is when they – the kind of police and the hospital alleged that the first patient died um, as as a result of um, this William Davis. So John Lafferty has um, dies post an unremarkable surgery and recovery. Uh, basically, they couldn't figure out what happened. He just died. Um, mm. Then, so that's June 16 and then June 22, the same year, a 61-year-old male patient experiences a profound and unexplainable incident resembling stroke-like symptoms, so doesn't die. So um, can I just ask, these patients, nothing really flags with them until multiple things have happened and then they go back and look? Yeah, so I think what happened was, um, and I did a bit of research into like how many, so this was a a cardiac unit and um, a lot of their patients were post-op, so and a lot of the patients who died were post-op. So it was a cardiac ICU and I think almost all of his patients were post-op, like all of his victims were yep. post-op. Okay. Well, I guess because um, they had art lines and stuff. And... Yeah, so maybe more access or whatever. I'm not really sure of all of the details. Mm-hmm. but And this sort of all came out after the fact. So these ones, uh, he was only charged eventually for on one death in the beginning and um, I'll go through that so so these are ones that they sort of came out and I guess I'm just sort of doing it in order um, came out later that he was linked to so um, this guy so suffers like long-term injuries his daughter came out and said how horrific um, her dad's life is now after his incident post-op but I did a bit of research into like strokes post-cardiac surgery and I think it's like nine percent like up to nine percent 
of patients mm. who have major cardiac surgery can suffer a stroke as a side of well, I guess they'd so be guess, prone to clotting. Yeah, yeah. And I guess yeah. so, and I mean, in a hospital, you know, especially in a setting where people are already critically ill before they're having mm. their surgery uh, or you know, really unwell before they're even admitted, um, yeah. it, I guess if a patient just died post an unremarkable surgery, you would, I don't know how much went into a post-mortem you know, or an autopsy or whatever for these patients because there's a possibility that there was a trend showing or um, that kind of thing. But what the biggest um, instigator was, uh, well, no, so there's another one. So a 58-year-old man, uh, Gary Parker. So this was in the July. So uh, he's only started interfering with people uh, in June of 2017 and then in July um, another man, Gary Parker, 58-year-old, suffers a significant injury from a, from a profound and unexplainable incident resembling stroke-like symptoms. Mm-hmm. And then later in that July, another patient dies as a result of air being introduced in his arterial system. So that they were able to prove that. Um, and it, as they go on, they started doing CTs of these patients that were having these incidences and um, I think doing more investigations post, what's the word, yeah, posthumously? Posthumously. Yeah, anyway. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, so I think the hospital had started to sort of raise some flags that there was obviously something going wrong at this point because there'd been multiple significant strokes and um, that was new for them because they were quite a high, I guess, quality care centre. And, you know, those sentinel events would be uh, anyone that dies within 24 hours of surgery gets investigated so you'd be start thinking oh that's a lot and some of them weren't so some of them were like going back to ICU being extubated having a good recovery and then dying Mm -hmm. so there were lots of questions being raised and then this is this one um in August of that same year so he's already killed two people and injured a few others um in just a couple of months and in August of 2017, Christopher Greenaway, the victim, has a coronary artery bypass graft and he was neurologically intact after his surgery. He was taken to the ICU, was extubated shortly after 4.30 uh, in the evening and was breathing well on his own. So um, his nurse actually spoke at the trial of um, William Davis and said that he is like super meticulous. He would never have gone for his break if he didn't believe that his patient was perfectly stable and he asks William Davis to watch his patient, Mr. Greenway, while he goes to get something to eat. So he goes off and as he's coming back, so not even 20 minutes after he's gone, he hears the code sounding for his patient's room. Um, Mr. Greenway suffers from from his nap. Yeah. I see you night shift naps. (laughs) No shade. No, he actually like went down the street and came back. Um, oh. So Greenaway suffers an unexpected neurological incident shortly after 3.35 a.m. So, and I'm sitting here going, what is open in Texas at 3.35 in the morning? Like, I want to know where I'm getting food at 3.30. Taco Bell. Mm. So <laughs> this patient, Taco Bell, this patient, Mr. Greenaway doesn't die for two days. So oh, after no. two days, the, uh, a brain death evaluation is conducted and oh. Greenaway is declared brain dead. Uh, on the evening of August 6th and then he dies. His wife spoke at um at the trial as well and it was awful. Like I've read so many documents about this trial oh. and um, she was like, he was fine. Like I spoke to him on the phone, I saw him and he was fine and I was like, love you, like I'll see you in the morning because the nurses are going to get you up early and then gets a call in the middle of the night saying 
something's happened, you need to rally the family and say goodbye, basically. Like, awful. And he apparently um, one of, like, the hospital executives was friends with this man and I I hate to ask this question, but if they weren't friends, how far Mm. would the investigation had gone? And she said, like, she had – I think she she might have been a doctor. Like she helped, like handpicked the surgeon that was going to work with him. He was super anxious before his surgery, so she made sure that he had like extra supports on the ward or whatever it was. Like I remember reading her statement, and then I thought, hmm, I wonder if they weren't friends. Like because this guy mm. was the one that they pushed to get to to go. What the fuck's going on here? Because this is not okay. Um, and his surgery like went perfectly, and obviously, and it was amazing seeing in the trial documents like the amount of people that are involved in this like they in, they involve security guards they involved like computer techs they involved a rep from um the the iv um pump company like they and all these nurses and um like cleaning staff and like, literally like the anaesthetist from the surgery and um just so 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 many people were involved in this trial covered all their bases yeah and it's it was incredible and it uh, going through this was kind of reassuring that that you know some of these nurses actually are held accountable for the shit that they do and um I'll get to that actually because I yeah. did have a look on the Texas medical or the Texas nursing board website and that was fascinating um so uh the so the nurse comes back and there's um yeah, so I've gone through that. Okay. Then the next day, the very next day, so two days two days after this initial incident, Mr. Greenaway dies and then donates all his organs, bless him, and he dies on the 6th of August. On the 7th of August, James Wages, a 54-year-old, suffers a significant injury from a profound and unexplainable incident resembling stroke-like symptoms. So there's another victim. Then a month later, Ricky Glenn exactly the same stroke like symptoms perfect like significant injury then in november so the next month pamela henderson so this one was another interesting one she survived her attack so 64 year old um had heart surgery at the hospital came out with no significant complications and was transferred to the cardiac icu shortly after midnight the next day so it's not even like these people are dying like straight after their surgery or you know on return yeah like they it's the next day after they've had you know, time to even recover, she experiences unexpe- uh, unexpected, profound neurological event. The So it's interesting because during this time in the hospital, in 2017, the hospital upgraded all of their security cameras and when motion was detected, they would start recording. So security camera footage actually shows William Davis entering this patient's room. He was in her room when her primary nurse entered the room and found that her blood pressure was too high on her arterial line um doctors then um noticed because obviously she's had a stroke so they've gone and done a ct they've noticed air in her brain um Mm. and she has limited mobility and she's basically lost her vision and still suffers um from her um attack now um and she spoke in the trial as well then obviously he got pretty close to being caught that time um and then in the next year so he that was November so that was the end of November and then at the end of January um Joseph Kalina a 58 year old of San Antonio has a heart bypass surgery in the hospital he was transferred to cardiac ICU where nurse William George Davis was assigned so a lot of these other patients our nurse was not actually assigned to them Um, but this but he was assigned to this guy so um 
And this one is so eerie, like, because I'm, I'm questioning all this time, like, why is he doing this? Like, what, what is mm-hmm. prompting these? Especially attacks? if like, they're not his patients. Like, no, exactly. why? He's just smart. Yeah. But yeah, well, like because why? then he's not really going to get the blame, is yeah, he? Yeah, exactly. So uh, another nurse finds that there's an abnormality on this man's arterial line waveform and she um, and Davis was like, I went in just before and, and reset the, the IV pump because it said that there was an occlusion. And then uh, that later gets determined that actually that was a lie because the the hospital oh. was like, there's too many abnormalities happening. Let's see, you know, so he's told us that he's gone and reset this pump because there was an occlusion. So they've gone and got the rep and said, oh, we need you to download all of the information from that pump and find out if that was the truth. So I think the hospital is obviously investigating each death, but n- maybe not linking them together at this point. Yeah, so the pump information was downloaded and he's like, well, there was no upstream occlusion, so what your nurse has said was a lie and then for this man for Mr Callaner the security cameras are obviously helping in this situation as well and they've shown that um, William Davis was in Callaner's room about for about a minute and even though Callaner wasn't his patient uh, at the time and then three minutes later Callaner suffers a profound medical neurological emergency and no. then security footage shows Davis watching the cardiac monitors from the nurse's station while all of the nurses rush to the patient's aid and he just stands there watching the monitors and then he eventually makes his way down to the room and just stands in the doorway. And this gave me the creeps, like he was just watching his patient die, like watching this person die that he's killed. Like, um, It was so interesting. The One of the prosecutors at the trial was like, a hospital is the perfect place for a serial killer to hide. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, oh, that scares the fuck <laughs> like, And it's so true because it people is. die in hospital. Like, yep. you know. And um, so much access to easy things like a syringe and some air. Yeah, that, exactly. <laughs> and so and in some of the security footage they did notice that he was either carrying a syringe uh, in some of them, like um, when he went into the patient's rooms. Again, though, not, not an unusual practice for a nurse. No, exactly. So, yeah. um, so Mr. Callaner dies on the 25th and then on the 28th of January the hospital executives meet with the authorities regarding the situation so um, they go and tell the police we have reason to suspect that somebody's interfering with patients uh, and we've got you know at least three or four um, deaths that we can that we could attribute to him but we can't prove it that kind of thing yeah Uh, on that same day Davis contacts the nurse who spoke to him about the abnormality and then changes his story so that nurse that was like oh I noticed there was a problem with your patient's art line and the one how he's like oh yeah I just went in there and reset it or whatever um he then tells her that he flushed the art line multiple times and in my head I'm like yeah with air you douchebag (laughs) Uh, so he's changed his story already. Then in February, so only about 10 days later, um, the the local police, they attend a meeting with the hospital staff and, and the council where they learn there are a series of patients who have had unexpected medical emergencies while they were recovering from heart surgery and they were able to potentially link Davis to all of them, so whether he was on shift at the same time um, with all of them. Yeah, uh, I think the one with Callaner and the one with Greenaway almost implicitly, uh, yeah, uh, I guess sealed his fate. Suggest that, yeah, um, because they could directly link him to both of them. Whereas the others, he um, might have been on shift, but 
that nobody had noticed that he'd gone into their room kind of thing and that there was no security footage um, sure. confirming other than the Mrs. Henderson. Um, so then I think this is amazing. Like, so within days, so I think seven days later, he's fired um, from his false, for, for falsification of care events. So, yeah. uh, and then, and his unethical practice related to failure to disclose interventions provided that may have impacted the outcome of the patient. So they fired him on the basis basically that he lied and that he didn't tell them exactly what he'd done prior to the patient dying. So yeah. they haven't said, you know, you're sacked because you've killed people. They've said, you know, yeah. you've done the wrong thing, so goodbye. Then the Texas Board of Nursing, I have to say, I was really impressed with them. Within a month of um, of Davis being terminated and he was interviewed by the police on uh, in Feb, then uh, – Oh, so then, so he gets interviewed by the police and he tells his wife on the phone, like when after he's been interviewed, that he did interfere with the patients, but it was because he needed the overtime and oh. that he was like, if something went wrong, then I'll get to stay longer. But then the, oh. all of his colleagues were like, this is bullshit because we have no staff. Like he could have stayed, he could have stayed three days in a row. No one would have cared. Like there, there was that much overtime going that it wasn't a valid excuse. Um, uh, yep. Yeah. So then <laughs> in March, the Texas Board of Nursing holds a public meeting to consider whether or not he should be allowed to. Um, so nothing's been proved yet, basically. Yeah. Um, uh, he's just, he hasn't even been charged yet, that he's just been interviewed. Uh, and basically the Texas Nursing Board says that his continued practice as a nurse would constitute a continuing and imminent threat to the public welfare. So then mm. his license is suspended. Then uh, towards the end of March, the police meet with a radiologist uh, in Dallas and the doctor basically said that these neurological emergencies were not accidental, like he was adamant. It was deliberate. But it's yeah. interesting because the defence the defense came out in trial and said, no, we've had independent medical examiners look at all of these cases and mm. they said that they could be classic for a watershed stroke, which I had actually never heard of. Um, and watershed strokes you know, possible after cardiac surgery. But that many? Well, in this, one area? Well, and this is it, I think. Um, How you know, many that, had they had prior? Well, and this is it. So they did say that since they'd suspended him, they hadn't had any more incidents. <laughs> so, oh, um, shocking. Yeah, exactly. A, <laughs> it's not a coincidence. <laughs> exactly. So the investigators receive a report from the, the chief forensic pathologist and they say that the cause of death for Christopher Greenaway, so this was the, um, the friend of the hospital exec, is cerebral yeah. ischemia due to an induced air embolus. The manner of death is homicide. So um, mm. then... The police call Davison, ask him to come to the police station. He's arrested and charged with the murder of Greenaway. At the time, they were still investigating him for killing the three others and then attempting to murder five more. Um, oh, and that's where he makes that phone call to his wife. Then the hospital releases a statement to the public. And it's so interesting because um, the, the prosecutors were saying, like, a hospital does not ask for this to happen. And the hospital's risking their reputation by reporting him. They're risking yeah. so much. Which and is why so many of them get away with it because they ship and them off somewhere else. He actually spoke about that in his statements. Like the prosecutor was like, a lot of hospitals wouldn't take this on. They wouldn't take on, you know, a lot of hospitals just move people on and make Correct. it somebody else's problem. Yeah. And it was so good that they've actually called that out and brought it to the attention. There was so much media attention 
for this case, honestly, you type his name into Google and it was like a million articles. Like it was yeah. huge. So that they released this amazing um, press release. They're saying that he's that this a staff member has been taken into custody um, and he worked there from 2013 to 2018. On the 25th of January, we identified unusual and unexplained patient outcome on the cardiac ICU, blah, blah, blah. And they said because of their strong commitment to high-quality care, they took swift action and performed reviews of the circumstances, including reviews of any unanticipated outcomes. The review produced new information that resulted in the immediate removal of William Davis from all patient care responsibilities and he was terminated. And they said that they believe that the issues were isolated to him and that he acted independently and of his own accord. Due to concerns arising out of this confidential review, we shared details with the appropriate authorities, including the Texas Board of Nursing and the Tyler Police Department. We're actively cooperating them as well as working with state and national regulatory and accrediting bodies. And like... I've mm, never seen a hospital go, you know what, somebody in our hospital totally fucked up and ruined people's lives. And I think yeah. because the hospital did get sued as well um, and yeah, that would have prompted, uh, I think that was yeah. during the trial though that um, one of the Civil living lawsuit. victims yeah. decided to sue the hospital or their family did. Yeah. But, yeah, it's just it. I think it was really to be commended. Like hospitals need to pay attention that it's not, it's not necessarily a reflection of you. Like he worked there no. for years before he started killing people and, and exactly. people liked him. Like he was a good nurse and people didn't have issues with him. Like none they of his colleagues do. were like, no, well, I know, but none of his <laughs> colleagues came out and said that they suspected him or that he, you know, this is so like everybody. And it's the same with like, I always say like Ted Bundy, like everybody liked him. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Davis uh, in June of 2018. So basically he only started killing in the, in the June of 2017 and within yeah. a year he's indicted on one count of murder and two counts of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon and then uh, a syringe in, <laughs> well I know he's like crazy but yep. I, I've got more to say about this so um I did some research about like how much air would actually kill you right yeah. um so and or with the watershed stroke so in three to nine percent of patients after cardiac surgery they can they have watershed strokes patients with post-operative strokes have up to a tenfold increase in mortality which is crazy yeah. but also yeah. that the way that yeah the way that those cts were presenting could have been similar to watershed strokes so this guy um barry walcott senior vice president of clinical affairs for WebMD health in general the small amount of air that can be introduced by a typical syringe is not large enough to cause a fatal air embolism and that, mm. I mean, that blows me away. Like how much fucking air is he injecting into these people's art lines? Because if you think about the pressure that's in an art line as well, like would you have to have your patient sitting upright for the air to travel against the pressure of the arteries and the blood? I don't, I don't know. know. I, it's I, interesting. It, it blows me away. I would love, and he didn't take the stand and I was devastated. I was mm. like, please let him be a fucking Well, I suppose you him... can't let him take the stand, can no, you? <laughs> I love it when they do. It's like the drama. Love what did he get? So yeah, that's he right. He got the death penalty, Kelly. <gasps> he in Texas. I know. And do you know what? I <laughs> love this. This was like my favorite thing. I read all of the closing arguments. And my favorite bit was that the district attorney said he may be one of the only people to be executed in the way he murdered his patients by lethal injection. Oh, Isn't that fucking crazy? Pumping full of air. Seriously, like a pumping full of it. That how funny. They wouldn't know. Yeah. Anyway, is he still? Is, he's, he's probably still, still sitting on death row. Yeah, is he? Yeah. Yeah. yeah so the, and the prosecutor wow. said that Davis was the only common denominator between all the patients, and he 
uh, said that all the unexplained deaths stop after the day Davis was suspended and none have been reported in the years since. Yeah. Um, yeah, so he's sentenced amazing. to death. Uh, amazing. I don't know how. He's to... not married anymore either. No. <laughs> and they, re- they, didn't, they didn't disclose his wife's name out of, like, confidentiality. Oh, yeah, gonna for sure. Stalk her. Like I did with um John Bonet Ramsey's brother, I become obsessed oh. with. Him. <laughs> um, yeah, I can't believe he's still sitting on death row. That's he doesn't even. You know what he looks like? He looks like every male nurse I've ever worked with. Like <laughs> he just looks like every man. Uh, all right. Well, you did someone really recent, and I'm yeah, gonna so go back to the 1800s for mine. Tell us about your old lady. <laughs> back in know. my day. Um, so I'm doing Jane Topin. She was a serial killer in, or one of the first female serial killers in America, in Massachusetts. Massachusetts? How do you say it? Massachusetts. Yeah. <laughs> in the late 1800s. She claimed her life goal was to have killed more people, helpless people, than any other man or woman who ever lived. Jesus fucking Christ. She was a wronged woman. Um, so Why did Jane she just go into terrorism? <laughs> Jane Tolpin was born Honora Kelly um, in 1854 and was the daughter of two Irish immigrants. Her mother Bridget died of tuberculosis when she was only one and her father Peter Kelly was a well-known eccentric and abusive alcoholic. In later years he actually was um, committed to an insane asylum because he sewed his eyelids closed while working as a tailor. He went crazy. Um, so this poor girl had a really rough start to her life. In 1860, only a few years after um, her mother's death, Kelly took his two youngest kids, Delia, who was eight, and Honora, who was six, to the Boston Female Asylum. It was an orphanage for indignant female children. Kelly surrendered the two girls never to see them again. Documents what makes from them children so- indignant? Just, um, just being there, I think. <laughs> The documents from the asylum note that they were rescued from a very miserable home. No records exist of Delia and Honora's experiences during the time in the asylum, but reportedly Delia became a prostitute while her older sister Nellie, who wasn't committed to the orphanage, but was committed to an insane asylum not long after. Apparently she went crazy too. In 1862, so two years after being abandoned by her father, Nora was placed in an indentured servership in the home of Mrs. Ann Topin. And although she was never formally adopted, apparently this was the thing. They would take kids out of foster care or orphanages and put them with these families as indentured servants. So they would be sent to school. They would have board and keep, um, but they would have to work in the family home as a servant. So although she was never formally adopted, she did take the Topin name and was renamed Jane Topin as um, Mrs. Anne Topin apparently didn't like the Irish, so didn't want her Irish name. <laughs> she worked with them. Oh, the Toppins also had another daughter called Elizabeth, and they, Nora and Elizabeth, were quite good friends. Jane was freed from her duties when she was 18 and given $50. However, she did choose to stay with the family um, until Anne died and Anne's daughter Elizabeth married and left the home. So there was an article written in 1902, which was really interesting to read, actually. The way they wrote back then was lyrical. (laughs) (laughs) They wrote, they called her the greatest criminal of modern times. They wrote, her recital of her crimes make one's blood run cold. She has told of the death of her victims as if she was talking about a summer picnic at which she enjoyed herself. 
When asked how did you kill them, she said a mix of morphine, atropine in mineral water or sometimes whiskey. What? <laughs> yeah. So Jane, um, so basically Jane had a boyfriend and everything when she was in high school and um, doing this, you know, indentured serviceship. What is it? Server. Servant. She <laughs> can't say. And she was rejected by her boyfriend and had attempted to take her own life multiple times because of this. So there were some reports that she had also started to lose her mind a little bit and believed that she could read people's thoughts and all this sort of thing, had, and she was going a little crazy. Uh, but in 1985, Toppen began training as a nurse at Cambridge Hospital, and unlike in her early years where she was described as brilliant but terrible, the hospital she was well-liked. <laughs> at the hospital she was well-liked and friendly and bright and evoking the nickname Jolly Jane. So once Topin became close with patients, she picked her favourite ones. The patients were normally elderly, very sick, and during her residency, Topin used her patients as guinea pigs to experiment with morphine and atropine. She altered their prescribed doses to see what it would do to their nervous systems. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And in 1989... After numerous of her numerous amounts of patients dying before their time, Cambridge Hospital sent her to work at the prestigious Massachusetts General Hospital. So again, linking her to these deaths, but just sent her on her way to a bigger and better hospital. At the Mass General, she was fired a year later for killing a number of patients. Oh, that's and back she went to Cambridge. <laughs> Um, but again, she was fired shortly after for reckless administration of morphine. So they're obviously on to her at this point. Yeah, and um, and I think she had said that she just preyed on the elderly because why would we bother keeping them alive? Oh, so sure, yeah. yeah. Anyway, after getting fired from everywhere, she decided to take up private nursing, uh, and this is where <laughs> her killing really ramped up. <laughs> She ended up being convicted of 12 murders and confessed to over 30, um, but he's suspected of more than like 100 murders. Uh, her MO choice was poisoning, mostly with morphine and atropine and strychnine. It's the woman. Um, the woman's she, weapon, isn't it? Yeah. She murdered her sister's husband. No, she murdered her, her, her sister Elizabeth Topin yeah. because she wanted to. Uh, be with her husband what? but of course her husband rejected her oh. and then that just fueled this killing spree she killed her landlords um she killed uh pretty much everyone that she was put into hire funny, but... and she killed their family members as well so she would kill the patient and their family members she oh, would just yeah. poison them all there was um a particular family who became very suspicious. They were suspicious of why they died, why the family member died, and that actually led to her being arrested because she obviously didn't kill the person who was inquisitive enough to get her investigated. Damn, the one person she does I know. <laughs> um, she had absolutely no remorse, like zero. Like she was a true psychopath. Um, she said, I have never felt sorry for what I've done. Even when I poisoned my dearest friends, I did not feel any regret afterwards. I do not feel any remorse now. I have thought it all over and I cannot detect the slightest bit of sorrow over what I have done. Oh. 
Uh, <laughs> what? <laughs> Isn't that insane? That this is- article was brilliant. It was like um, written um, by the person who was in the court reporting. Yeah, her. sure. She confessed that her first murder was a young girl while attending undergraduate nursing school. She said the desire to watch someone die as a result of her her own methods was so strong it overpowered her. Oh, my God. That is, like, my worst fear. Yeah, that you might want to just pop some air in. Oh, mate. (laughs) Or bleach. (laughs) The bleach, yeah. Um, Poor people, they come come to the hospital thinking they're getting care and that they're going to get to go home. Another victim was a young man who she poisoned and to her the death rattle in his throat was as sweet as music. When she saw him in cold death, she kissed him. She said that soon the mania became an uncontrollable passion. There was multiple discussions that um, Jane would drug them just enough to almost kill them, bring them back and then drug them again. And she did all this while cradling them all in her arms, fondling them and performing other sexual acts whilst they were dying because she had like she had, um, you know, like a sexual fascination attached to the death and dying process as well. So there was a lot to this story. Um, that's now, I guess that's why they've invented sex dolls because they're like corpses. Stop you killing other people. <laughs> stop you killing people and fucking their bodies. Topin insisted upon her own sanity in court. She claimed that she could not be insane if she knew what she was doing and knew that it was wrong. Wowzers. Yeah. In June of 2009, 2000, in June of 1902, in the Barnstable County, um, courthouse she was committed for the life committed for life also the jury only I think they said the trial itself only took eight hours because she just confessed to everything okay. and the jury itself only took 27 minutes to deliberate and they declared her not guilty by insanity even though she said I'm not insane yeah because right. I think but that's what all crazy people say yeah <laughs> she didn't want to be like crazy. her father she said I knew what I was doing like I killed them I wanted to kill them. But that's like a form um, of psychopathy, isn't it? Like, Yeah, absolutely, yeah. yeah. Um, so she was committed for life to the Taunton Insane Hospital uh, where she lived for 36 years before she died at the age of 81. Jesus Christ. She was very old for that it would have been ancient age. for that time, yeah. Yeah, so she died in 1938. This was one of her quotes, which blows my mind. No voice has as much melody in it as one crying for life. No eyes as bright as those about to become fixed and glassy. No face as beautiful as one pulseless and cold. That's fucking horrifying. She was a poet as well. (laughs) Maybe she should have chosen a different career. I just, I just can't, I can't, um, I can't understand. (laughs) I mean, I get she had like a pretty shitty childhood, but I mean, she was eight when she was put, no, she was, she was ten when she was put in the home with the Toppins. And from what I can gather, it wasn't a terrible time for her. Like she was educated. Um, she, she still had to work as a servant, but she was educated and fed and bored. What was the, like, the Mr. Toppin like, though? I wonder if he had sexually abused yeah, her or something. Like, maybe. Fucked up. I mean, I'm sure... Her genetics yeah, um, were enough working against her. Probably. Well, 
Yeah, and I'm pretty sure what happened to her in those formative years of her life would have been horrific. I will say and something that you're going to totally love. So on my <laughs> – we digress again. But on my way home from this wedding the other day, I had to drive, like, home – I had to bring Ollie back to the hotel and it was like a 40 minute drive. It was like windy roads and it was late. So I, I, and I don't know the radio stations in Albury. So I like put one on and they were talking about the differences between hamsters and gerbils, right? And oh. <laughs> Random. They were talking about how um, in France, someone had figured out that one of the gerbils was like critically endangered, but it was only a gerbil that lived in this certain region or that, that, grew it that that were raised in like barns or something anyway they worked out that these gerbils were suffering from a medical condition because they consumed too much corn and the medical condition makes them eat their own children oh so and it makes them like cannibalistic and then they said that it's it's actually something that can occur in humans Mm. and it makes them far more likely to be suicidal homicidal and cannibalistic is that the most wow. fucked up thing ever? I need that to. Is. It's called like Pelaga or something. I need to look ah. it up. It blew my freaking mind. I'm like, it kept me yep. awake on my drive home. But maybe, um, maybe Jane just consumed too much corn. Well, Jane also said that had she have not been rejected and had she have married and had a family of her own, she might not have been quite so. She might not have had the time to murder. She would have been busy with her family. With she would have just killed someone else. She would have just killed her husband and her kids probably. <laughs> she would have just had kids just to kill them. Imagine imagine if, oh, thank God she didn't have kids. I know, Christ. I fucked her right up. Seriously. Um, I just, yeah, I don't get it. I mean, I could not, could you imagine seeing a dead patient going, I'm going to jump in bed. Hey, let me see what your ding dong looks like. You wouldn't do that. <laughs> no, no sane person would be like, ooh, dead guy. Hey, these episodes... Oh, they always make me feel so caring, really. I know. Um, (laughs) Make me feel better about myself. (laughs) We hope you enjoyed hearing about our stories today and these two most heinous criminals. Don't forget to like, follow, rate us on your podcast app. Follow us on Instagram. Get yourself some safe style style eyewear and use our discount code HUMORS. Send us an email if you've got any suggestions or any stories you want to tell us. HumorousNurses at gmail.com. It's humorous like the bone. H-U-M-E-R-U-S. Bye. Bye.